My Car Guru Collector's Edition, Episode 170. Welcome to this edition of My Car Guru. I'm Lenny Lawson, and glad to be with you. And my mission today is to teach you something. Uh, if you are probably a maybe a Formula One mechanic or maybe some fancy NASCAR mechanic or something like that, you probably don't need to listen because we're going to talk about some fundamental things that car owners need to know about uh, for multiple reasons. It's just kind of nice to know how things work. Some people don't want to know. They just want it to work. They don't care how it works, but they know when it doesn't, and they're not happy about it. What I'm trying to do is to maybe give you a little bit of ammunition so that you know what's going on with your car. Multiple systems are involved in making it work just like your body. This one today is probably one of the most important ones and creates a lot of issues for car owners uh, because sometimes different components of this system fail. And when they fail, it can be very expensive, somewhat catastrophic. I'll give you an example. I have some very good older friends that... Uh, had my cell phone number, called me one day and said, Lenny, we need you to rescue us. I said, what's the problem? Well, we're on Big Ridge, which is a, you know, it's about, it's a big hill. It's on a four-lane road outside of my hometown. And they were heading up Big Ridge and the car just shut down. Um, I said, well, okay, just stay there. I'll be there in just a minute. I could have just called a wrecker and everything, but I wanted to see what was going on. I figured they might have just, you know, I don't know, put it in the wrong gear or something. They, they, they struggle with, with minor things at times. No, I'm not judging. So I drove all the way out there. It's about a 15-mile trip. And uh, there they were sitting in their little Toyota Camry on the side of the road. So I circled around, pulled up behind them, and got inside. And I could smell it. As soon as I got close to it, I could smell antifreeze. And um, it had a pretty, bla- pretty bad bleed out there on the asphalt. And I said, what happened? He said, well, you know, we were just driving along. And all of a sudden, it just shut off. And so I, I pulled over, you know, the power steering quit and everything, and I just pulled over, and, and, now, and then we called you. So the first thing I did was sat in the driver's seat and looked at the instrumentation, and the only bit of instrumentation that I could see was the speedometer. Everything else was covered up with pictures of their grandkids. Um, so I pulled all those pictures down, I didn't even ask permission, but I pulled the pictures down, and, yeah, they had their temperature gauge covered up. Uh, it, the temperature light was on. It was covered up. So their car had overheated. Well, come to find out, it had overheated so badly that the engine seized. Now, when the engine seizes, uh, that means that the lubrication effect of the oil has broken down to the point that it's not lubricating anymore and the pistons are going up and down inside the cylinder and all of a sudden it's metal on metal and so it doesn't like that for very long because eventually it just molds together seizes up and the engine is destroyed and that was the case in this particular little Toyota Camry and all of this could have been prevented had they paid attention to their cooling system. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the cooling system in your car and why it's so important and how many different things can affect it. It's kind of like your circulatory system and your heart and your lungs. You know, if they all serve a function. And uh, I'm not going to get into, you know, physiology, anatomy, but you know what I'm talking about. The, uh, the, the pump, basically, for a... Uh, circulatory system in your car is called a water pump 
and it pushes antifreeze throughout your engine block and in other places like your heater core. That's one of the, the parts of the cooling system. That's how you get heat into your car. Um, and then you have a lot of hoses and connections, and, and one of the most important parts, of course, is the radiator itself. Uh, anything can fail there. I mean, a water pump can fail. It can stop pumping. Uh, matter of fact, what turns a water pump is a belt. And so if the belt gets old and cracked and starts slipping, then that can affect the performance of the water pump. And then when that's not pumping very good, what happens? Well, you know, if it's your heart, you faint or you have chest pain. Your car just starts overheating. And um, so you, you if you can't see the gauges, though, you don't know that this is happening. So rule number one, no pictures of grandchildren on the instruments. Put them in frames in your house or like in a little album there in the dash. You know, you could keep the pictures with you. Just don't put them on your dash or on your instruments. Your instruments are there for a reason. It's to keep you informed of what's going on with your car. Okay, rule number two. Uh, your nose is one of the best indicators that you have a problem with your cooling system. Probably a minor problem at first. Why your nose? Because antifreeze has a unique odor to it. You can smell it. It's kind of a sweet smell. And it's unmistakable. It's nothing like the smell of burning oil or anything like that. It's sweet. And so it's also deadly. Um, if it's dripping on your maybe your garage floor, and your dog starts lapping it up, then he's going to die. That's just the way it happens. Uh, I don't know why that is. There's ethylene glycol is uh, a fatal to animals and probably to human beings as well. So don't drink it. So if you're smelling antifreeze, it's leaking somewhere. It could be just a connection. So there's a lot of hoses. There's hoses is what hoses is what transports the fluid from one component of the system to the other. I mean, so basically the you've got a radiator and its job is to take hot antifreeze and make it cool again. It uses a fan and uh, it uses the flow airflow of the vehicle when it's moving. You know, if your vehicle isn't moving, if you're just sitting in a, a parking lot, sometimes you're or at a red light or whatever, sometimes you will see your temperature start to climb. And that's the fan's job. The fan is designed to compensate when the vehicle is not moving. Now, once you start moving, you probably get enough airflow that the fan will, you know, turn itself on and off. Older cars, like my old 66 Mustang, it, the fan was always spinning because it was attached to a, um, basically to the front of the engine. And the belts were always turning it, so it's always spinning. But on modern cars, you have electric fans. Sometimes they have more than one. And they are designed to uh, take over when the car, like I say, isn't moving. So the coolant gets cool uh, in the radiator, and then it travels through the system. Uh, it comes into the radiator through the upper radiator hose. It leaves the radiator through a lower radiator hose and starts its way through the engine block where it uh, does its thing on the engine, keeping it cool. Uh, sometimes it's when it's cold, it's diverted to the something called the heater core, which the heater core is up underneath your dash, and yeah, it uses coolant to heat the inside of the vehicle in the winter, you know, when it's chilly. So, um, you know, and then it travels right back into the system. The water pump is, again, water pump is circulating everything. It's responsible for pumping this antifreeze throughout all of these different systems. 
you can imagine with that many different things and all these all this route that this coolant has to take, there's plenty of opportunities for a leak. Everywhere a hose is attached to a component, there's also a clamp there. And sometimes those clamps work their way loose. Uh, sometimes the, uh, the radiator hoses get old and cracked and uh, just over time they just lose their flexibility and they start leaking. Um, and you'll smell it. Uh, it's just something that uh, you have to use your nose. Your nose is important. It's the first sign that you have a problem. I can't tell you how many cars that, that pull up to the dealership and either in the service department or, you know, somebody's trying to trade a car, we raise the hood. First thing that hits me in the face is the smell of antifreeze. So I'm looking around, seeing if it's dripping from someplace. Sometimes it doesn't have to be a drip, drip, drip. It could actually just be a small, a small leak. But that has to be found. You know, that's the job. Whoever's changing your oil, uh, who, who's ever doing your regular maintenance, they're the ones that are supposed to catch those little leaks um, and like I say, it could be a component like the water pump. The water pump is attached to the front of the engine, and um, many times that they will fail, and the gaskets around them will fail, and you'll have a leak there. Uh, the radiator itself could develop a leak because maybe a rock flies up and hits it. Uh, sometimes those can be repaired. Sometimes people put something in the system called stop a leak. Don't ever do that. Find the leak and then solve the problem. Don't put some other chemical in there that's going to gum things up. You know, one of the biggest questions I get is about whether they should flush their cooling system. Um, I'm going to tell you here in just a minute why that may or may not be a good idea. So I guess the biggest lesson to take from this is no pictures of grandchildren on the instruments. Okay, so that's number one. Uh, number two, the quality of the coolant is critical. If, you know, when you get a new car, it's got brand new coolant in it. When you uh, have your system flushed, uh, it's get, it gets brand new coolant in it. Now, a lot, of, a lot of people think that, well, you know, I'll just drain the, um, the radiator and just put more coolant in it when I need to. Well, that's fine. You can just drain your radiator, but there's a lot of coolant that's sitting in your engine block and also in the hoses in the system and all the way to the heater core. And so if you just drain the radiator... And you're hoping to, you know, freshen up your system. You're really not. Um, you need to flush the system. And what that does is that forces a chemical. You know, basically, you drain all the antifreeze out, but it forces all of uh, uh, a chemical that cleans all of those little channels out, including inside your engine block. And it's, um, you know, I hear a lot of different uh, dealerships do uh, sell all kinds of flush products. I mean, they'll flush your power steering pump. They'll flush your brake system. They're flushing everything. Um, a lot of that stuff is just uh, not worth anything. But flushing your cooling system, that's valuable. That's important. When should you do it? Well, you know, several years ago, they started putting in what they called 100,000-mile um, coolant. Well, I saw a lot of cars in the service department with 100,000-mile coolant that looked like sewer water. It looked like a muddy creek. And originally it was a pretty shade of green or orange. Didn't look like that anymore. And these are cars with 75 and 80,000 miles on them. Um, I'm going to flush my cooling system at 50,000 miles. There's nothing in your owner's manual that's going to say that. Just take it from me. 
That's what you need to do. Flush it. Get that stuff. Get fresh coolant in that system. And then do it every 50,000 miles thereafter, and you will have a happy engine. You still have to monitor leaks. Again, wherever you're getting your oil change should use a checklist of items uh, that they are checking on your vehicle. Uh, we use one with uh, Nissan and with Ford, uh, and it basically keeps us uh, on our toes. It makes us accountable for checking everything that should be checked when somebody brings their car in. It's, I mean, the list is pretty extensive. And, you know, if, if you miss something, um, it would, well, let's just put it this way. It would be easy to miss something if you didn't use a checklist. And if I'm a customer, I want a copy of that checklist. Now, on the checklist, most of the ones have basically a red, yellow, and green. So let's say they check your coolant, and you've got 40,000 miles on it, and they put it yellow. I'm going to want to know, why did you say yellow? Well, it's because the color is not good, you know, or because we found a leak uh, that needs to be fixed. Well, if it's yellow, I want it fixed if it has anything to do with my coolant system because I don't want to be like the folks going up Big Ridge in their, their Toyota Camry with pictures of their grandkids and the thing overheats. Um, so that that is a very critical thing to pay attention to. You know, they're supposed to check your suspension, your exhaust system, uh, the steering components underneath your vehicle, uh, all of your lights. There's a whole bunch of things on that. It's called a multi-point inspection sheet, I think. Yeah, they, call it, they just call it multi-point inspection here. So uh, I want to see that. Um, you know, if you're going to a Jiffy Lube or, you know, something like a Jiffy Lube, uh, hopefully they're checking all those things. I guarantee they don't have time. You know what? They're in a big hurry. There's a big line of folks back there, and they want to get you in and out. Now, a lot of them do a great job, but they don't have time to check everything that a uh, new car dealership does. And I personally believe that the best place to get your oil changed and, and uh, regular maintenance done is at a new car dealership. Yeah, I know it. I'm a new car dealer. Do I sound biased? Of course I sound biased. But I'm also a 44-year veteran of the industry. I've owned multiple car dealerships. I've seen many thousands of customers um, over their, their car life, I guess. And, um, you know, my goal has always been to maintain relationships over a long period of time. I've got a lot of people that I've sold uh, hundreds of cars to literally. Um, and some, you know, I've just sold four or five. But my goal is to have them come back because of the level of service that I deliver to them. And that's the kind of place that you want to do business with if you can find that in your hometown. Maybe you don't have it there. You know, these gigantic dealerships that have, you know, they might have 50 technicians. They have a, um, a, a let's say a quick lane type service operation where they do oil changes and stuff like that, I guarantee they use a multi-point inspection form. And they are, they take it very seriously for the most part. I say for the most part because, you you know, everybody's not going to do it the right way. You just, Sometimes you just have to learn from experience. But I can tell you that the best place to get your car serviced is at a new car dealership that sells the brand that you, that you uh, own. Now, a lot of good independent shops out there. Uh, most of them, at one point or another, 
worked at a new car dealership. That's where they got their training. And they decided they didn't want to do that anymore. They wanted to work for themselves. And so they opened a shop. And lots of them use the same type of processes and, and um, use multi-point inspections, and they do really quality work. Uh, some of them have little to no training. They change your oil and um, put air in your tires and send you on your way without checking all the other things. Uh, as important as my transportation is to me, that's just not good enough. I mean, I want to make sure that everything's being done. Plus, you know, the dealership has a reputation to uphold, and um, they are they are held liable. Most of them have garage keepers insurance. If they do something to your car, that they've got insurance to, to pay to fix it. Um, the, do things happen in car dealerships to customers' cars? Yes. I'll never forget we had a guy come in. Uh, he, it was right when they came out with the Chevy Citation. What a wonderful car. Not. But the Chevy Citation was different for us as a Chevy dealer back in, when did that come out? 80, 1980, I believe. Um, it was front-wheel drive. Well, it was the first front-wheel drive car that we sold as a Chevy dealer. Well, this guy bought it and then brings it in for an oil change. My oil change technician puts it up on the lift and raises it up. And he is, his toolbox was right in front of the front of the vehicle. So it's back over his head. He's not facing it. He's turned away from it, getting tools out of the toolbox. And he moves to his left. And as soon as he does, that car comes crashing forward into his toolbox. If he'd have been there, he wouldn't have been there anymore. And so, uh, you know, it was a mistake. He had not taken into account the fact that 65% of the weight of that car was over the front wheels now, and he put it on a lift like it was a rear-wheel drive car. Did I say that right? Rear-wheel drive car. Um, so anyway, he learned a valuable lesson. We did too. Who paid for that repair? Uh, my garage keeper's insurance. And really, the customer, I don't remember. He was a really good guy. Otherwise, uh, I could understand somebody saying, well, I want a new car. But that doesn't always happen. That's what insurance is for. Back then, we didn't have Carfax and auto check and all those kind of things where you could find out if a car has been damaged. But we fixed it in our body shop, and he, re he retained us as a customer. He trusted us, and he even br brought a gift to the uh, shell-shocked uh, service tech. Uh, he was real. Larry is the service tech, and Larry is still a friend of mine. Um, but he, uh, that, that really stuck with him. That could have been a fatal mistake. So anyway, that kind of thing happens in a car dealership occasionally. Not very often, but it does happen. All right, so I'm going to take my last break, and I'll be back here in just a minute. Okay, so the major point I want to make here, other than no pictures on your instruments, is that um, you know if your cooling system fails, you've destroyed your engine more than likely. So you got to make sure that it's good. If you smell something, that smells sweet. Not as sweet as your wife, but kind of sweet. A little bit under that. Um, then that's a problem, and you need to get, you need to get that leak found. Uh, the uh, water pump, the radiator, the heater core, the coolant overflow tank. Um, you know, there's a, uh, the thermostat. There's a lot of different places where you can have issues. But if, if you take it into a service department, just make them explain to you what has to be replaced and why. You know, it's, it's not unheard of for them to take you back and show you 
what's going on. If it's something that's really expensive, I'm going to ask to see it. I want you to show me. Why do I need to replace my radiator? You know, why do I need to spend all this money on a heater core? Show me why. And they will. Um, if they say, no, we're not going to show you. Just trust us. Then maybe you need to go someplace else. I don't know. But, uh, again, too many people ignore their cooling system at their, uh, at their peril. Don't get it drained. Get it flushed at 50,000 miles. I know the coolant's supposed to last 100,000 miles. That's what it said in the brochure. Get it flushed at 50,000. Uh, you might have a shop say, listen, your coolant looks really bad, and it's only got 30,000 miles on it. Get it flushed. Um, it's just the best thing to do. Don't let them just uh, drain the radiator and add coolant because, again, you're leaving a lot of junk in your engine block, and that's the most important place for it to be nice and clean. I'm probably even going to replace my belts. Now, serpentine belts are on most vehicles now, and they they last a pretty long time. But I still i am going to replace my serpentine belts at 75,000 miles because that's responsible for turning all of that stuff. And I'm probably going to replace my uh, upper and lower radiator hoses at the same time, about 75,000 miles. These are all recommendations. If you have any questions about this kind of stuff, feel free to call me. Uh, if I don't have an answer, I'll let you talk to my service manager. He's got a lot more answers than I do, or one of my master service techs, ones who can actually fix things. Um, you know, so, like I said, just because it has an ASC certification, oh, we, we only employ ASC certified techs. Whoopee. They, they're good test takers. That doesn't mean they're good mechanics. Just keep that in mind. Okay, well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru, and we will see you next time.